welcome to the Red Caps Podcast, a podcast where we dip our caps into the blood of our listeners and we ramble on about old school games. I hope everybody is recovering from their turkey comas. And on this very special Black Friday episode of the Red Caps Podcast, we are joined by the tabletop engineer himself, Jim Kelly. Jim is a longtime listener to the show, and it was awesome to sit down and chat with him on an actual episode. He's released a bunch of very popular zines, probably best known in the OSR circles for Delver. Uh, he's been through the Kickstarter process a bunch of times, and he's a very crafty gentleman. He's got uh, you know all kinds of terrain and miniatures and accessories around tabletop gaming that he's built, um, and he's just an awesome person to sit down and have a conversation with. So... Remember, no mortal can't run a red cap, and I hope you can sit back and listen and enjoy as much as I did. Over to the conversation. Hello, folks. I am joined today on the podcast by Jim Kelly, also known as a tabletop engineer, best known perhaps for his various zines like Delver, Bex and Bazaar, his crafting videos on YouTube. Jim, how are you doing today? Hey, Kevin. I'm good. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thanks for coming in. Now, people that have been listening to the podcast for a while may remember way back, <laughs> way, way back in episode 48, you had written in and asked me about, um, you know, rolling out in the open and keeping some roles hidden. And, and I did an episode where I answered that. Did I do a decent job? Did you get an answer that you wanted out of that one? You did. And and I wasn't actually, you know, like looking for an answer. I just, you know, I'm always curious how other GMs, you know, run their table. And, um, you know, I ha- I've had pushback from players. And so I'm not, I'm not a GM who is like locked into my, it's my way or the highway. I'm always open to, you know, changes. Awesome. So tell me a little bit about the zines because you've got several of them. There's, there's a plethora of zines out there. Um, <laughs> everything from Tavern, Delver, which is what I probably know you best as, uh, or Bexham's Bazaar, which I, I didn't realize until very recently. I had actually heard of, of Bexham's much before on, um, on a crafting YouTuber channel now, that name of it has just escaped me. Um, Tabletop Crafters Guild, maybe, or might have been something like that. I, I I thought of it like an hour or two ago, and I just now the name of it's left me. But I didn't hear about it that I hadn't realized put a connection together on it until recently. So yeah, tell me about but your history with the zines. How did these all start? So so yeah, Bexum's Bazaar ran for thirty three issues every month. It was. A lot. I mean, I was basically creating the magazine. I did have some contributors for it that would give me like adventures or articles and stuff. But I would say 80% of each magazine was me creating stuff. And it, it was just, it was a lot of work every month. And so at the time I was doing Bexham's, um, I was I was playing 5e. I was playing war games. I was doing, I had my hand, I have my hands in a lot of different hobbies. But I really grew tired of 5e. I was running a weekly game uh, at a local gaming store. And then uh, COVID hit. And, you know, at that point, I really started evaluating my happiness with gaming. And my happiness returns to when I was in sixth grade in the early 80s. My mom and dad for Christmas got me the the Holmes box, you know, and we started playing D&D. We didn't know what we were doing. We had a few examples at some gaming places that we saw, but we played D&D the way the, the book sort of described it. And I missed those days. I missed the wonders of taking your level one characters into a dungeon and opening a door and coming across an HD8, you know, creature. Uh, you know, these days, nobody runs. Back then, man, we'd open a door and we would hightail it. We didn't want to die. 
And so I, I think about this time, uh, Professor Dungeon Master, who's another YouTuber, uh, he mentioned a game called, I think, Old School. Well, not think. He mentioned Old School Essentials. So I went out, and this was before Old School Essentials went like with their, their combined books. They had the little individual books and stuff like that. So I got the PDFs. I was blown away. So then I invested in the print copies. Um, I ran some games, and all of a sudden, I was 12 again and just laughing and loving it. And so jump forward about a year after playing OSC with some friends. And I, I was mainly playing online, but now I've been playing with my like 12-year-old and some of his friends. And I just... I'm a writer by trade. I'm a technical writer by training. I've written since I got out of college and writing is just something that comes natural to me. And I just, I'd had this idea in my, in my head to create a zine, a one shotter, because I love random tables. I like rolling random dungeons where even the GM, I don't know what's around the corner or what's beyond the door. And so I wrote Delver and I called it Delver One because I, I left open the potential that if, if people liked it, I might be willing to do a second one. And now I just finished the Kickstarter for Delver Six. Um, and in between the Delvers, because I'm doing those about every other month, in between the Delvers, I still had this itch to write. And so I started writing things that didn't fall into the Delver. I, I wrote Tavern, which lets players buy and run a tavern between games. And I wrote Guild because I like I like the idea of having these organizations that players could join to get benefits, pay dues, and maybe get some leads on some other, you know, stuff. And so what's really interesting is it has turned into it it, it has really been a blessing for my backers because now I spend about half of my work week creating game content. And what a dream job, right? I mean, yeah, you can't you can't go wrong with that if you're, yeah. you're the the whole take your hobby and and uh, if you're able to monetize it in a way that doesn't hurt the enjoyment of it, but um, right, continues to bring you the joy with it. That's awesome. Yeah, and you've also got Airlock. Uh, I'm not sure is Airlock still active or is that an older one? That's Airlock. On? Airlock was a one. Well, Airlock was one of those where I, I called it Airlock zero zero one because I never want to like you know close the door. I mean, if it, if it did well, then I want to be able to do another one. I discovered Mothership because I'm a big Alien Aliens fan. And uh, I do play the Aliens RPG. And when I found Mothership, I found it to be just enough crunch to it that I really, really liked it. And uh, I ran a few games. I actually ran an Alien, the, the original Alien movie. I ran it as a Mothership adventure for some friends, and they just loved it. Yeah, um, Dallas ended up surviving, and they they still defeated the creature, but it was a totally different take on the movie. So when I finished that game, going back to my random love of random, I realized that this mothership was really cool to me, but there was a lack of random charts and tables for for GMs um, who want to run it. So I wrote Airlock, and I. <sighs> I like props in my games. So I chose airlock uh, as a test. I wanted to see how far could I push, push it with like getting backers to fund things. Like I, I included a patch. Uh, I included some 
postcards that 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 serve as like handouts the GM can give out and stuff like that. I ended up having there were like I think there was a total of fifteen or sixteen props that went out with the zine. Four of those were like little brochure adventure, uh, little mini adventure brochures, and all this was funded by backers who. You know, I'd say, okay, if we hit this funding level, I'll throw in another, you know, ID card, a plastic ID card and stuff. And so by the time everything was done, Airlock was, Airlock was fun. It was a fun Kickstarter to run. Um, I am working on Airlock 2. That's all I'll say. Uh, It's probably going to be early next year, maybe first quarter. Um, Airlock 2 is coming along. Very cool. So how do you, how do you find um, so you've gone through the, the Kickstarter process several times? Mm-hmm. What's your view on Kickstarter overall? In the sense of, I see a lot of them where I think people come into it and they're not prepared for for Kickstarter uh, or prepared for everything that comes along with it um, in terms of planning out funding and planning out how they're going to handle things. And you see stretch goals that can almost sink Kickstarters oh, at times because yeah. they because they go too far. So how have you managed to manage that and not had have any you know, big issues or have there been issues that you've been able to overcome that, you know, you've done it so done a well enough job that we just haven't noticed. Well, one of my biggest, one of the things I feel most strongly about with Kickstarters and what I produce is I don't like, I don't like to raise funds for a vapor product. So Delver one was completely written except for like, I think eight pages that were added as stretch goals. So the core of the magazine or the zine was done. And so I was able to tell the backers, look, if you back it, when it's done, I can immediately get the PDF almost within two to three weeks sent off to the printers. The printer's telling me two-week delivery, and then I can turn around. And so my my I, I won't say it was my promise, but sort of the reputation I've developed with my Kickstarters is that – when I launch my Kickstarter, my item or whatever I'm backing is like 80 to 90% done. And I think that's I think that's helped me because I think we've all backed Kickstarters that have these like, you know, one year from now you'll get your you'll get your, you know, rewards or two years. I just I literally today just got a game, a board a little uh, board game that I backed. I had to go check. I backed it over 2 years ago. And delays kept hitting and hitting. <laughs> and so I'm a big believer that uh, I love Kickstarter, but I think Kickstarter has sort of become this like testing ground. It's like, I have this idea for something. Let me just throw out a number. I need $5,000. And if I hit it, we'll make it. And that's that's dangerous because one, you're right. Add-ons and things, you have to have a grasp of the financial, you know, how many of, of item A can I buy if I only have a hundred backers? Is it financially feasible? And then, you know, so the patch for Airlock, for example, I knew how much I could get the patch for, but I was ordering it from China, right? And I knew there was a de- uh, there would there could be a delay in ordering it. So then I had to figure in like speedy, you know, like air uh, air freight to get them. And so you. Kickstarter is a great, great tool, but I am seeing, I am seeing, and, I, and I've gotten a lot of heat for saying this. I'm seeing a, a substantially large number of Kickstarter projects in the gaming world that are funding something that hasn't even been written yet. You know, we have they're, they're funding the idea of what funding the be. idea. 
And I think that's wrong. I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a freelance writer. I've written for freelance projects before. But let me tell you, any, this I tell people all the time as a warning. Anytime you want to back a project that has like 5, 10, 20 writers, here's what you don't know. One or more of those writers is going to be slow in producing, and they're going to slow the project down. It can't be completed until everybody's got their stuff turned in. And we all know that there's delays in printing and shipping and supply chain and all that. So I am very hesitant to back any projects that are I, that are more than like eight or nine months away from delivery. If you say your project is 12 months or longer away, you've probably lost me. Even if there's Kickstarter exclusives, I'll wait for the retail if there's going to be a retail and I'll get it then. Um, I think that's less risk. And I can put my money into projects of people who are creating something that is going to be in my hands at a reasonable time, in a reasonable time. Right. The um, you, When you were mentioning some of the other items that uh, happened in between Delver and what have you, um, Lost Homes, where does that fit with all those? Lost Homes, well, it's funny. Um, I was trying to make this jump to full-time game creator. So I had this idea. I was like, you know, if I can, if I could generate a certain amount of money per month to create content, um, maybe I could do this. So Delver was providing a, a percentage of income. So I, I went and I created this Patreon, and I said basically, okay, if you back me every month at five dollars for one year, which is like sixty dollars. Um, you're going to get four print copies of four zines that I want to do. It was uh, Lost Adventures, which was 12 mini-adventures, Lost Hirelings, which was a collection of NPCs, Lost Artifacts, which was magic items and lots of them, and then Lost Pages, which is my my go-to, random pages of charts and tables and stuff. And so every week for an entire year, Every week, I gave three PDFs to backers at the $1 or the $5 mark. And so every week, I was releasing a page of magic items, uh, four magic items, a page of NPCs, two NPCs, and a page of random charts and tables. Every week for 50 weeks, or 52 weeks, or however many. And then once a month, I was creating a mini-adventure that had to be that I play-tested, and then I would write it up and, and edit it and, and submit it. And then at the end, and here's what happened. When I started this, that light at the end of the tunnel was like, it wasn't even there. And then all of a sudden, I'm at the 10-month mark. And then I'm at the 11-month mark. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is really coming to an end. And I only ever had about 100 backers, pa patrons that were paying at the $5. But it was enough to allow me to dedicate a few hours a week to create that content. And then I sent out the, the, the I collated everything into their four issues, sent it out, had it printed. And then all of my $5 backers uh, who'd been with me for at least a year got four copies in the mail sent to them. And those people who joined me later, I allowed them to pay a PayPal invoice to, to cover the difference. Um, so I sent out I sent out just over 85 packs of those four zines, the Lost Homes, and now I sell them, you know, individually and as a bundle on my own online store. But that was an experience. Let me tell you, I don't recommend that to just anybody. It's a <laughs> it's not to be taken lightly. 
Uh, Mom- momentum is is key there. I think the way you're describing it, whereas doing it every week and just keeping that momentum going is probably what. Yes, if you're, you know, as a writer, I have the discipline, or at least I think I have the discipline to do it. There were a few hiccups. I think there was one time I got really sick, and then there was another time when I was totally out of town and just missed uploading. But overall, my patrons were very, very. I think out of the 52 weeks, I think there were like 48 that delivered on time. So I didn't. That that I consider to be a success, and I don't know if I'll ever do it again. Uh, maybe, but it was a lot. It was a lot of writing and a lot of. Um, I mean, you got to be consistent. And yeah. what what do you feel is the so you've got you've got fans in in, in almost three very distinct realms of of the hobby right you've got the old school rpg fans uh yep. that are in, enjoying things like delver and what have you you've got the wargaming side of things and then you've got the the crafters what's the what's the what's the venn diagram like and what's the uh <laughs> the <laughs> the uh the differences between those those different groups because i've got to assume that there's some there's a very sure. different response on on things that you do from each of them yeah. And it's like, you know, keeping three balls in the air when you're juggling, you know, and <laughs> you got to keep all three happy, three groups. But there is some overlap. Like I don't craft my, my YouTube channel is what I started first. The crafting YouTube channel came first. That was like five or six years ago. Wow. And I only craft or I say I only I typically craft things that I am going to use in my game. So I was crafting a lot of dungeon and 5e dioramas and dungeon tiles and stuff like that because i was playing 5e then i discovered i didn't discover it so much as i just i kind of got hooked on wargaming right right around when covid was was striking and um and specifically i i i, I do a lot of solo skirmish war games which are smaller groups of miniatures and stuff and so i do i have i'm very busy with my hobby. But again, I'm, I'm very lucky and fortunate and blessed because I am making enough income from my channels and my publications to, to, to cover the time I put into those projects. I, behind me, you, you can't see it. The, the I, listeners can't. I, I, I'm, I'm going to bring that up in just a minute. I, I promise I'm going to, cause you can't miss what's right yeah. behind you. I will get to that in just a second. But yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I have a business on the side and it's, and it's exploding right now because it's Christmas season. And I, I do, I, it's keeping, I, I am really, really going nuts right now. Um, I have got so many projects, um, but it's good because the, every day is different and, you know, I get to create a new Delver every two months and I, I, um, it's fun. I, I'm a gamer. I am a gamer and I get to do things in my hobby and I get to make things in my hobby and write things in my hobby. So it's, it's a, it's a good, I'm very, very happy right now. All right. Well, let's jump to the, the probably close to a ton weighing machine sitting behind you. You, you do a lot of crafting. Uh, yeah. If anybody has seen your YouTube video, they're probably going to see a very similar view to what I'm seeing right now, where we're looking into your workshop and there's a giant laser cutter sitting behind you. Yeah. Um, you, if you watch, the, if you watch uh, Jim's YouTube channel, uh, you'll see that he creates all kinds of, of different terrain and, and uh, there was spaceships and, and all kinds of little cool, cool figurines. What's your favorite tool? I'm guessing it's probably the answer is probably what's sitting behind you. But what's your favorite tool of all these different tools that you have, and what sort of stuff do you really enjoy? Like it, it brings a smile to your face every time you go to make. Um, 
Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I've gone through the 3D printing phase and I still have my 3D printers and I enjoyed 3D printing when I was really into it because it was a new tool and I was learning stuff and I was designing things. And um, my my skills have progressed through the years. I used to just do like foam and cardboard and then I got into 3D printing and the laser cutter has opened up new avenues. Now, the laser behind me, uh, it began as a Glowforge, a little desktop laser. And I quickly outgrew that. It couldn't, it was slow and it couldn't do the, the bigger things I needed to do. And so I made the jump a couple, uh, about a year ago. Um, I decided to get an industrial laser. Now, my, my background is industrial engineering. So it wasn't like I, you know, I, I had some knowledge, right, of, of how to design and, and use these tools. But the laser is a business, but of course, I'm going to use it for my hobby. And, and I do make, <laughs> I make terrain and I, I do odds and ends stuff. But I, I'm a big believer that, you know, I don't really have a favorite tool. I, whatever I decide to make, I try to pick the tool that's best suited for it. Like tonight, in about another 30 minutes, I'm doing a live crafting session over at the, YouTube, the Tabletop Engineer. And I'm making some foam terrain. So I'm I'm going to be cutting XPS foam. I'm going to be using a tool called a Proxon wire cutter, which gets hot and it cuts the foam. So no laser, no 3D printers tonight. Just a blade and you know a, a ruler and and a, and a hot wire cutter. So you know whatever I need, I reach for the tool that, that's going to get me there. So how much space in your home do you think is being used up by gaming paraphernalia right now? Like, like is, is the reason that you're sitting out in the shed right now is because, because your wife got so upset or is it um, like how much of the terrain and miniature miniatures is, uh, is eating up the, uh, the, the um, living space? I, I, uh, ooh, I, I would be a slightly embarrassed if I took you on a tour of my workshop. <laughs> I'm actually in the basement. Um, the basement of our house had an unfinished basement. And so when we moved here, because we wanted to be closer to my kid's school, when we, when we chose this house and it had the unfinished, my wife was like, Ooh, an unfinished basement. And I was like, Ooh, an unfinished basement. <laughs> and so I, I have, I have a good size workshop and I needed it for my business. She recognized that. Um, but yeah, I have, um, I have a lot of a large collection of, uh, shelving down here that have, <laughs> tons of terrain and miniatures and you can see well you can't the viewers can't but you can see i've got miniature storage on the walls where i keep my minis and things like that but it is a workshop it is always frequently cluttered and and then i get it cleaned again but i uh, i do use every every bit of space i can good stuff so i i guess i'll, I'll lead into a little bit of of what you you or what what you often sell i guess is and and pitch it as this way we're coming up to holidays like you said you're getting crazy busy what should people be looking at for if somebody wants to buy gifts for for folks that are in in uh in our hobby what what sort of stuff should they look at that's easy to get and and fun that might be outside of the norm for them yeah i it's really interesting about a month ago um i'm on etsy and so about a month ago when you when you get a sale your phone goes cha-ching and you you know you got a sale so <laughs> Um, my, my Etsy store, it keeps me busy during the holiday season, but during the regular part of the year, it's, it's sort of up and down there's waves, but starting about, a, I guess it was right at the beginning of October. I noticed a trend. I started getting 
orders for my miniature displays. I have like four different like sizes. I have a small one, a medium one, a big one, and then I have what they call the mega. I have been selling on average about one mega a day. And the mega, which is behind me on the wall there, it'll it's what it's eight levels. It's like two feet wide, about a about two feet tall. Uh, yeah, you're gonna get you're gonna get like what uh, eight to ten minis per level. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So you're probably looking at about eighty minis that you could put on there pretty easy. Yeah, and the one above it is the half one. That's what I call the uh, the the dungeon crawl. And so yeah, you can you know forty, eighty, eighty miniatures on the mega. 40 in the thing. And then of course there's the top. I use, I use every bit of space. So I set them (laughs) on the top too. You get a little extra bonus level there, but it's fun. I personalize the banner. You know, people like to put their name on it. Like I did one today called the dungeon of, of corn. I don't know what the story is there. The Dungeon of Corn. Uh, see, I'd have to find it. I'd be emailing the person being like, okay, you need to explain this. It's it's on its way, but you need to explain this now. She said it was a gift for her <laughs> husband, so I probably will email and say, hey, ask your husband, you know, what, what's the story? Dungeon of Corn. Um, but it's 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 cool. Uh, I think sp- I'm getting a lot of spouses who email. What will happen is I'll get like three or four questions before they make the purchase. The wife will say or the husband will say, hey, um, how many characters can I put on the banner? Okay, you can put 15 to 20. How, how many, do, do the miniatures fall off? No, it's like a two-inch deep you know, shelf. The miniatures will be fine and stuff. And then, you know, I think they just want to make sure it's a good gift for their spouse. And I, I'm jealous. I mean, there's a, I've got two or three of my own, but I can't really make any more. And there's, there's very few places to hang them in, in my workshop right now. So... <laughs> You know, um, I do have one called the ultimate that I'm working on. It's two of those side by side. It's uh, it's going to be called the um, the Giga Dungeon. This is the Mega. I'm going to make I'm making one called the Giga, <laughs> <laughs> and um, it's still in production or prototyping, but it's huge. And I'm thinking I made it because I need the space, and then I'll probably sell it. It won't sell many because it's big. Um, and, and people need to remember now when you're putting your minis on these sorts of shelves, you need to you need to make the low level minis at the top. And as you go d- deeper into into the dungeon, absolutely the stuff goes on the bottom. You, you put your high HD creatures <laughs> at the bottom, your low HD at the top, and you know keep it organized. The um, is there any anything else that you think uh, makes good gifts that people would find on on places like Etsy or what have you? Well, I mean, not just my stuff. I tell you, I go out to Etsy all the time and you know look look at whatever games I'm playing. I love acrylic tokens. I think that's a huge, you know, there's a lot of, I don't work with acrylic because it smells awful when you cut it. I vent outside, but I don't need my neighbors smelling that mess. So I don't, I don't do acrylic. I do wood, but I will say I've ordered acrylic uh, tokens from Etsy sellers for like my son had plays a game and I ordered him some and they're, they're awesome. I mean, you know, you, the little paper or cardboard ones you get with a standard game, you punch them out, you know, they're fine. But let me tell you, if you're really into a game or if your husband or wife or children are into a really specific game, go upgrade them. Get them some acrylic tokens for their game and they will freak out. I mean, I know I would. Yeah, my my father does. Um, he turns pens. Um, that's kind of been his new hobby over the last few years. And so he does all kinds of wooden pens and everything. Uh, I'll, nobody on the on the podcast will hear it, but like here's an example that's of pretty. one of his fountain pens. Um, but uh, he... Uh, he also does some of the acrylic stuff and yeah, he's mentioned too before that the, the smell on it whenever he's doing the acrylic pens versus the wooden ones. But, yeah. um, so 
I, I noticed recently, this is a, a little bit off topic. Actually, I, I do want to say a, a shout out to um, Shay Webster of Roleplay Rescue. He had a uh, an episode recently where he was talking about, yeah, of different things that different people enjoy about games that some people enjoy um, sensations uh, like physical objects. And I think that applies very much to what you do with, with all the crafting is that you seem to get a, a big kick out of the, out of the physical sensation and the, the tactile uh, nature of, of the game. Um, so I, whenever I was thinking of things to, for well, putting down notes, uh, Shay, uh, recent podcast where he's talking about you know the different senses the mda framework is what i think he called it uh, but sensation uh, game as a sense pleasure uh really seemed to the click for you uh, anyhow the click to my head about you uh, with all the uh, minis and everything is that do you find that the physical contact of stuff makes the game better for you or or do you prefer playing in theater of the mind at times or is it mostly the, the physical when I'm playing, like for instance, with old school essentials, I can go either way. I can do I can do theater of the mind, or I can do physical. I like I like physical. I'm a maker by nature. I I like to create and make stuff. So my the best I tell you the my one of my best memories recently was when my 12 year old came to me and said, "Hey, my, all my friends want to play Dungeons and Dragons," and I said, "Okay," and they said, "We want you to run the game." I said, "Okay." And so I said, he goes, do they need miniatures? I said, if they bring them up, that's fine. Otherwise, I'll provide miniatures. And my son knows my workshop. And he's like, can we can we have these things in there? And I'm like, absolutely. So I see it in their eyes when I when I drop something on the table that I've spent a lot of time making. And, and I drop it on the table and I see all my players' like, eyes get big. Now, it, the funny story is when I was playing 5e, I used to walk into the game store you know, 20 minutes before the games would begin. And I'd have these bags, huge bags with all my stuff inside. And my players got to where they'd be like, uh-oh, he's got a bigger bag this time. It'll <laughs> be a boss fight or something. And, and uh, you know, the other DMs would make fun of me. They're like, dudes, cut it out. And I'm like, look, you can't, I can't help it. I love, I love miniatures. I love playing on terrain. And so, yeah, I mean, there's something tactile and I like to hand out props to my players. You know, I like them to be able to look at things and, 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 and do that kind of stuff. So yeah, I'm never going to stop. Never going to stop. <laughs> Good stuff. The, um, I end most of my, my interviews with a question. Uh, I'm not sure how much, how much, well, most recent ones you've heard, but I like to ask folks, you know, what hasn't been asked to you or what have I not asked or what have other people not asked that you'd love to chat about? So, what sort of things do you not get a chance to to ask others or talk to others about that you'd love to uh, to get out there? Sure. You know, I just this last weekend I was in Charlotte, North Carolina, at a convention called um, what well, it, it used to be called Mace. Um, it, this year it was called JeffCon in honor of the person who started the the convention, and then next year it's being renamed to Mythic Con per his request. So I got to talk gaming with all kinds of people for the whole weekend. We just sit around and and talk. But the one thing that I think as a GM, I rarely get time to sit down with GMs. I mean, you know, there's usually six players to every GM, right, on average. There's it's when you're the GM, you're kind of the lonely guy. You you, <laughs> you can't share the secrets and no and I, I've actually contemplated, like, you know, creating some sort of, like, you know, anonymous group for, for GMs who are just, like, 
need to need to get get it off their chest because you know it it can be frustrating to be a GM, but you you love a game, you want to play a game, and you want your players to have a good experience, and so it, it's it's tough. And I have been very fortunate that my players in all games, five E, OSE, whatever, they're very appreciative of what I do. They're they've I've gotten gifts, and you know that I don't expect that, but I think the biggest one was my gaming group a couple of years back got me the collector's edition of the 5e dms guide you know the ones with the alternate covers yep i, I didn't know what to say i was i mean because i already had the three core books the standard ones and here they go and they put their money together and buy me that it it was nice it was a it was a nice nod that it made me realize that okay i'm i, I guess they like what i'm doing so to answer your question the the thing i i like to talk about is I like to talk about running games, but I don't get to do that very often because you know it's usually when I'm sitting down with player with with people, they're players, <laughs> not GMs. Right. Yeah. I, maybe we maybe we need to have a uh, a, a national DMs uh, appreciation day where <laughs> where uh, I, I, my uh, my day job for for years and years was as a system administrator. Um, an, an IT system, uh, system administrator, and we had the the sysadmin appreciation day, and uh, you know, the boss would send us all in for pizza or something. But um, I think a day where where everybody uh, has to you know just sit back, go, oh, yeah, look how many hours that guy put in for prep on this thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like it, it's funny. Um, I've run many a game where I rolled it at the table rather than prep it, I, and I tell my players tonight we're playing random, and I I roll things and stuff and so um yeah uh, listen if you play a game and it doesn't matter whether it's dungeons and dragons or some other rpg or whatever but if you've got somebody who is taking time to to give you a great fun two hours three hours whatever each week or once a month or whatever i'm not telling you to go give them a hug or buy them a gift but look them in the eye and acknowledge to them that look you know, I like playing a game and I love that you like GMing the game and I'm appreciative of it because it, it, you get, you get burnout, you get tired. Um, you have creative blackouts, you know, where it's just hard to come up with stuff and, and, um, nobody should expect, nobody should be expected to, to sit at the top, at the head of the table every day, every week, every month, whatever, without some breaks or without some thank yous and stuff like that. So I'm not doing it for me. I, I'm telling players out there, next time you play a game, tell your GM, just, hey, you know, we don't tell you enough how appreciative we are uh, of, of what you do. And so if if if, if you can do that, I, I just, I'll be happy knowing there are GMs out there who are, who are being appreciated too. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show and all the awesome stuff that you put out with the with the zines and what have you. Where can everybody go find all of your stuff? Where can they find you and, and all the awesome work that you've done? If they go to thetabletopengineer.com, that's a jumping off page to all my channels, my my online store, things like that. So put the word the, T-H-E at the beginning, thetabletopengineer.com, and they should be able to find find everything they need. Awesome. And yeah, you can find all the zines there. You said you're you're about to do a, a live stream on YouTube here uh, shortly. How often does that take place? Uh, I just started doing it. Uh, this will be like number four or five. Um, I do it every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. I used to do a live uh, crafting every week for patrons. 
and I, I kind of got burned out and I, that's been a few years back. And then I decided to do it again because people were asking me, when are you going to start doing live crafting again? And I had the itch. So I'm itchy again. And now I'm uh, tonight, like I said, I'm, I'm making some dungeon tiles for a very specific project. And I've got my, my, uh, I've got <laughs> my, my sheet here with all the measurements and stuff. So I kind of have a game plan going into it, but uh, it, it allows me also to talk to my audience. We, we do the, uh, the chat while I'm narrating and putting the camera down on the table, they hit me with questions and, and uh, it's fun. I, I enjoy it. All right. Awesome. So hopefully everybody who's listening here gets a chance to come and check out one of the live streams and they can, they can also chime in and let, let, let you know that they're appreciating everything that's going on. <laughs> and um, yeah, if you need a gift for for Christmas or whatever holiday you may be celebrating over the next couple months, uh, check out Etsy. If, if not, uh, you know, your page and some of the several other ones that, that are out there. There's lots of cool oh, little gift so ideas nice. for people. Um, and yeah, I really appreciate you coming on to chat with me. I, I really appreciate it too. You're one of the early folks that was reaching out to me whenever I first started this. So I appreciate it because as you were saying, it is, it's, it's nice to get feedback. Just know there's people out there listening. Um, so I'm, I'm really appreciative of that. And I thank you for, for reaching out way earlier and then coming back here after I had my long break and going, yeah, you're back. Can I come on? And I was like, yes, definitely you can. Um, so I, yeah. think, I think there's a lot of us that want to tell you that we're so glad to have <laughs> the red caps back. And, and um, I remember you advertised in Delver. I can't, I think it was Delver two or three. There was a, yeah. it was a red caps podcast uh, ad in there, but um, we're glad to have you back, Kevin. So uh <laughs> keep, keep up the good work and um I'm, i would love to come back some other time and talk about something other than myself let's let, next time let's talk about gaming you know sounds good we will we will schedule a time and probably sometime in the new year because i'm going to take i'm going to take a, a small break over the christmas holidays nothing like my last one i promise uh, <laughs> over the christmas holidays uh but yes once we get back in the new year we can definitely schedule up something like that and we'll pick a I'd game or something and and uh mutually go through it if you'd like that'd be fun i'd enjoy it Awesome. All right, folks, I'm going to pass this to future me to do the editing and uh, we'll talk again soon. Okay, folks, that's going to wrap up this episode of the Red Caps podcast. I hope you enjoyed, you learned something and that you're eager to come back for more. If you head over to the website, www.theredcaps.net, you'll find all the links to all the ways to contact me. Uh, there's ways you can drop me voicemails, speak pipe, uh, email, all that good stuff. Jump over there, send some feedback. Let me know what you're thinking of the show. Uh, what stuff you'd like to see come up in the future. I'd love to hear all of it. Thank you very so much for listening. And remember, never let your caps dry out. Stay safe, have fun. We'll talk again soon.